Let that be our cry nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, nearer to him. Not just lip service, but hearts sold out to Jesus Christ. Continue our study in John chapter 18 and 19. Jesus or Barabbas, that is the decision. And as we consider this text we look at this morning, and consider your hearts where you may be this morning, trusting in Jesus or trusting in a Barabbas type of scenario or individual, anything other than Christ is worthless and useless. We come back to the middle of the interrogation of Jesus by Pilate. The Passover feast brought multitudes of people to Jerusalem. The timing of the crucifixion was no accident. As Paul would state in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In a matter of hours, Jesus, our Lord, would be crucified. In chapter 17, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he was brought before Pilate to be judged by Pilate at Gabbatha, which is the pavement, the pavement for judgment. Then he would be led out to be crucified at a place called Golgotha, or Golgotha, the place of the skull. So we bring our attention to chapter 18. We're going to read some of these scriptures that we have covered before just to bring us back to where we are. Jesus was in custody at this time, taken in. Pilate was in the midst of interrogating him. And we'll start here in verse 28, chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. Be poised to turn to the other Gospels as well as we continue on. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Again, we're reminded that they were more concerned with defiling themselves by some rule that they held to rather than uh, more concerned with that than bringing an innocent man before to be crucified. 29, therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. And remember, that was taken away from them. Indeed, they did have that ability, but the Romans took that away from them, and the Romans were the ones who had to do this according to their laws. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying but what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, 
Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. We recall that Jesus uh, has a spiritual kingdom. And we recall that everyone in here is either part of the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of Satan. And you must decide this day which kingdom indeed are you in. You must be reminded of that specifically if you do not know Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Lord, I ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit this morning. Give ears to hear. Help me, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 39 and 40. First point, rejection and replacement. Rejection and replacement. You have a custom, Pilate says. I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish... Then that I release to you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So this Jewish custom of release, it was similar to a pardon. Pilate complied with this custom. He didn't necessarily have to, but he did. Mark chapter 15 says, now at the feast, he was used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. So Pilate didn't choose. Say, okay, we're going to let this guy out or this guy out. No, it was up to the people. And it wasn't some procedure that they would go through. They would say who they wanted in a crowd. It's like if everyone were to shout out here, if we had two people and we said, which one? I said, which one do you want to go free? And you mentioned one name, you cried out and cried out, and the majority was crying out for one individual. And that would be the one who would be released. It was up to the people to decide. Pilate, with either mockery or contempt, or seeking to win over the crowd, he called Jesus again the King of the Jews. They did not recognize Jesus as their king. They did not want him as their king. So it seems Pilate was rubbing this in their faces a little bit, getting under their skin. Pilate lacked integrity, to put it lightly. His verdict that he mentioned three times, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. That should have ended the conversation. Jesus would have been released and the crowd ordered to dissipate. That should have ended it right then and there. 
everyone go, or the soldiers will come and they'll deal with you. No one wanted that. Yet Pilate was beginning to be pushed into a corner. His position as governor was on the line and perhaps even his life. Look how it started. I find no guilt in this man. But push a politician like this, a ruler like this in a corner, and you can get him to make some decisions. It sounds similar to some systems we have today. And there was also threats. Sounds similar to what we have today. Not much has changed in that way. In chapter 19, verse 12, <clears throat> as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out to him, If you release this man, you are no friend to Caesar. That was a warning. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. If you release Jesus, they're saying, you're not a friend of Caesar. And Caesar was, of course, the, the, the one in charge. And Pilate was submitted to him. And they could have made Pilate's life very difficult or possibly end. Yet he offered to release Jesus as per custom. Here it was, Passover, release for you the king of the Jews. They said, verse 40, they rejected him. They wanted a replacement to be sent out. Not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. And we'll look more about, more specific, what that meant. The crowd wanted Barabbas. And from the Romans' perspective, Barabbas was a terrorist. Barabbas was possibly a leader of the other two criminals as well who were uh, getting ready to be crucified alongside Jesus Christ. The very Roman cross that was meant for Barabbas could have been the same exact one that Jesus was crucified on. Barabbas means son of a father in Aramaic. Some scholarly work attempts to show that his first name was also Jesus. Can't be dogmatic on that. I cannot be sure. The son of a father was released, and the son of the father was condemned to crucifixion. Luke 23, verse 19, I'll just read it for you, Barabbas who was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. So he was a real insurrectionist and a murderer. In verse 25, And he, Pilate, released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So they were holding, according to Matthew, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So everyone knew who this guy was. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they handed Jesus over. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Likely, he was one of what is called the zealots. 
who would attack the Romans using the guerrilla warfare type of uh, tactic. So we can imagine that Pilate was not thrilled to release Barabbas. It's likely that Barabbas had some supporters in the crowd who would further the pressure to have him released. They knew Pilate was going to release someone And his supporters, very likely, were there ready for this moment. They wanted Barabbas. If Barabbas gets out, and there's other of these zealots or insurrectionists, guess what? They can do something again. They declared that they wanted a murderer to be released over Jesus, who did nothing wrong, who taught for three years, who some of them knew, and very likely he helped some of them, if not most of them, in some way, or many of them in some way. Peter would later say in Acts chapter 3, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were asking for. Barabbas was the kind of savior they wanted. And Jesus did not meet the criteria of what they wanted. They wanted a military and political deliverer to set them free from Roman control. Just as today, people get so focused on a political leader that's going to supposedly make things better rather than focusing on Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will indeed save lost sinners. That ought to be our main focus. Jesus came to save the lost and to set men free from their sin. They wanted to release a man that was guilty and condemn an innocent man. The people wanted a robber or an insurrectionist and a murderer rather than the shepherd. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors, bearing the sin of many. Isaiah chapter 53. Spurgeon says, Christ, as he stood covered with his people's sins, had more sin laid upon him than that which bestowed upon, arrested upon Barabbas. Holy, harmless, and undefiled is Christ Jesus, but he takes the whole load of his people's guilt upon himself by imputation. As Jehovah looks upon him, he sees more guilt lying upon the Savior than even upon this atrocious sinner Barabbas. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, rejected by men, then and rejected by man today. And I say this with all reverence, but if the Lord Jesus was to preach on the world today and the world scene today, most modern churchgoers would tell him and ask him to be more like Jesus because they're ignorant of what Jesus, how he really was and how he really preached. 
a Jesus of their own imagination. Same with Stephen, who was stoned to death. If he was here preaching on the scene in modern churches today, many would say, get this man out of here, just like they would with the Apostle Paul, just like they would with John the Baptist. The only thing keeping this country from mass persecution is the holy restraint of God and the lack of bold Christian men to go stand and speak and preach the word and to pray. Secondly, reproaching and renouncing, reproaching and renouncing. Chapter 19, verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Okay, so scourging, scourging. Pilate failed in his attempt to set Jesus free. It is obvious, and we read the text, that's what he tried to do. And he found no guilt in him, he said. So he tried another way. Have him flogged, mocked, mistreated, paraded before the crowd. Possibly he would even receive pity from the crowd. He would then present Jesus before the crowd as if to say that these charges are absurd. How could this man be a king? If Pilate had a trick up his sleeve, he failed, and it backfired. What is sometimes overlooked is that Pilate may have had Jesus scourged or flogged more than one time. Let me explain this from D.A. Carson's work in his commentary. Flogging administered by the Romans could take one of three forms. A less severe beating meted out for relatively light offenses, such as hooliganism, and often accompanied by a severe warning. Again, any of these three type of punishments would be horrific uh, for uh, an individual to, to go through. <clears throat> then there was the brutal flogging administered to criminals whose offenses were more serious. And then the most terrible scourging of all, and the one that was always associated with other punishments, including crucifixion. In this last form, the victim was stripped and tied to a post and then beaten by several torturers. In the Roman provinces, they were called soldiers, provinces, not provinces, until they were exhausted or their commanding officer called them off. For victims who, like Jesus, were neither Roman citizens nor soldiers, the favored instrument was a whip whose leather thongs were fitted with pieces of bone or lead from or other metal. The beatings were so savage that the victims sometimes died. Eyewitnesses record, records report that such brutal scourging would leave victims and with their bones and entrails exposed. The flogging threatened in Luke and reported here in John is, according to D.A. Carson, he makes a good argument and others do as well, 
the least severe form and was intended partly to appease the Jews and partly to teach Jesus a lesson. They had him flogged is a more generic description for being something of a troublemaker. The chronology of Luke and John is correct, but this means that Jesus received a second scourging after the sentence of crucifixion was passed. So in other words, Pilate had Jesus undergo this flogging that was horrible, but it was not the same as the scourging that he would endure as he would the sentence of crucifixion came down at that point. Then the scourging he would endure. And keep in mind, Jesus was already slapped around by the, the high priest when he was before Caiaphas. This scourging, the one associated with crucifixion, would hasten death in the nearness of the special Sabbath of that week, provided the officials with some pressure to ensure that the agony of crucifixion, which could go on for days, would not be permitted to run on too long. This also explains why he was too, Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross very far. In other words, the Passover is here, Roman soldiers, Pilate, saying to them, the Passover is here, the scourging is to be severe. Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, yet had him flogged. Possible strategy to try to appease the Jews at the same time to set Jesus free, which he again mentioned three times. In Luke chapter 23, the gospel tells us, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incited the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. The other one that was in prison, Barabbas, now he's guilty. But Jesus, who he brought, they brought before him, Pilate said, I can find no guilt in these charges. And he says, he continues in Luke 23, verse 15, don't need to turn there, just read it. No, nor has Herod found anything, for he sent him back to me. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. If that was Pilate's intention to punish him and release him, it wouldn't be that severe scourging that goes with the crucifixion. It would be the less form, still horrific, of the, of the, the, uh, the flogging. It's incredible to ponder this today. And we haven't really even discussed much of the, the, the crucifixion, but we have a system in place today in many ways that is focused on uh, the humane treatments of criminals, right? When the victims at times, they, they suffer for until they take their last breath. They suffer for years of crimes committed against them. And then there's advocates for the, the ones who committed the crimes, and there's evidence to prove that they committed the crimes, and that, oh, we got to be humane with them. And we have to do these humane forms of execution, whatever one's view is on capital punishment, Executions are to be humane, they say, and the goal is having no botched executions. 
which the only one, by the way, that's never been botched has been the firing squad, honestly. The rest of them, according to my research, there have been botched executions. But the Romans did not play by these rules. The goal for them was to inflict as much punishment and pain as possible. And crucifixion was a horrible, horrible death. And the scourging that led up to the crucifixion was horrible torture. And Jesus Christ did this for sinners like you and me. Verse 2, chapter 19. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him, excuse me, um, forgive me, that was verse 3. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. This crown of thorns, possibly the soldiers used thorns from the date palm, and these thorns could have been up to 12 inches long. As they made this, it's possible that the thorns were meant to, to, go, to radiate outward to form the type of crown that uh, kings would actually wear during those days of crowns that would radiate outward to mock him further and to also with these thorns to inflict more pain upon Jesus. I read for you from Matthew 27, really briefly here, 27 through 30. The soldiers of the governor who took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, they stripped him and put, on scarlet ro- put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. So they stripped him of his clothing. He possibly, the outer garments, he possibly could have been close to being, uh, having nothing on at this time. Matthew says a scarlet robe. John says a purple robe. Point is, it was a robe of such color that royalty would normally use. Now, there's not going to be a royal kingly robe, a royal, a true royal kingly robe just laying around, unless it was planned for normal use. A true purple uh, robe wouldn't be there. So it's possible that a, uh, this was a soldier's outer cloak that was scarlet in color, a military cloak that was so close to this color that they grabbed it and said, oh, let's use this to further mock him. In verse 3, they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. So they continued to come up to him. Kneel before him and mock him and use this normal greeting that was reserved for Caesar and, and such. Hail. They're using this in a way to mock Jesus and to give him slaps in the face. 
The Greek here informs us that they kept on giving him slaps in the face. Mark tells us they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. The irony is they mocked him for be, Jesus for being king of the Jews, and that's exactly who he was. Why such brutality on Jesus? He did nothing wrong. The Roman soldiers had the light of the world right in their midst. Well, men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil, says John chapter 3. This is the depravity of humanity. This is sinful man. This is darkness, evil hearts, human nature. This is you and this is me without restraint from God. Without a supernatural work from God in regeneration to save us. And although Jesus is not physically here on this earth now, the abuse of him continues with verbal insults and physical verbal abuse of his disciples. The abuse and public ridicule was part of what Jesus suffered for us on his road to Calvary. Not only was he wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, but he also bore the shame and reproach that our sins deserve. J.C. Ryle says our Lord was clothed with a robe of shame and contempt that we might be clothed with a spotless garment of righteousness and stand in white robes before the, the throne of God. And everything that Christ did and everything that they did to the Lord Jesus Christ has meaning behind it. They were rejecting Christ and replacing him. They were reproaching and renouncing him. Thirdly, they were raging and refusing him. Raging and refusing him. Verse 4. Again, this is after the flogging, after the mocking, after the beating, after they paraded him and did this, mocked him this way, before the scourging and the crucifixion. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Pilate comes out first, then has Jesus brought out. That the crowd at this point, a sea of people. How would they react initially to seeing this Jesus who they probably have seen before, a lot of them have, and to see him being brought out and beaten up and bloodied and mocked. What were they expecting to see? Did they gasp when they saw him? Did they laugh? Did they cry? 
Remember, Pilate's initial goal was to set Jesus free. Even his wife said, have no dealings with this man. So perhaps he thought that they would perceive this figure before them as harmless and not worthy of death. Behold, I find no guilt in him, says Pilate, and neither could anyone else. For the last few years, he taught them, healed the sick. There was no one who could find fault in him. He loved people. He healed people. He preached the truth, raised Lazarus from the dead, performed miracles. No one could debate him. And here he was. No one could say anything wrong about him and be accurate. Yet the depravity in man, the sinfulness of man, the blindness upon man would not respond in favor to the Son of Man. Men love darkness rather than the light. So verse 5 tells us Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Here he is. See what he is like. In other words, ridiculous to see him as a threat to any kingdom. Pilate found no guilt in him, he says. Makes, makes us wonder what the Roman soldiers were thinking. They knew Pilate. They worked under him. He ordered crucifixions. He ordered punishments. And here there's something different. Makes you think what was going on in their mind and Pilate's mind. Had Pilate ever acted this way before? Why now? What was it with this, this Jesus? Did they see the majestic glowing, as it were, through his, this misery that he was in? Even as they were torturing him and punishing him? Did they have a glimpse somehow? This is wrong, what we're doing. This is someone different. We know from Isaiah that the response of the people was his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. No stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of man and like one from whom men hid their face. So verse 6 tells us, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, and there's an immediacy to this, there's an urgency to this, when they saw him come out, crucify, crucify. They didn't even say him. The religious leader, kill, kill. That's what it was. Crucify, crucify. Urgency. They started off, the chief priests and the officers. And then what did the crowds do? Crucify him. Crucify him. That was their cry. The whole mob started, as Matthew says, when Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. 
The Jews knew, Jewish leaders and the crowds knew if Jesus could be charged with sedition or as an insurrectionist, he would be crucified. Pilate's answer seems to be laced with indignation and frustration. What evil has he done? Take him for yourselves and crucify him, which they couldn't do. Think of Pilate's frustration here. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. D.A. Carson says it's a sarcastic taunt. You bring him to me for trial, but you will not accept my judgment. A lot to consider in this. A lot to consider when we go to communion. But we will see in our study that Pilate caves to the mob. And his true colors are there. And his heart is wicked. But I want to read this for you. This is from Richard Phillips' commentary. We consider what the, the crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him, what the Jewish leaders, religious leaders were saying first, crucify, crucify. What Pilate, what Pilate was saying, I find no guilt in him, you take him and crucify him. The Roman soldiers, what were they thinking, what were they doing after they were mocking him and beating him? One last person to consider. While Jesus stood before the crowd at the praetorium, now listen into this, please. Barabbas sat imprisoned in the tower of Antonia, some 1,500 feet away. Barabbas would have been too distant to hear anything that Pilate said, but the loud answers of the crowd would have resounded in his cell. Pilate asked which prisoner of the crowd desired to release and Barabbas heard the, crowd, the loud cry of his name. Pilate responded, as Matthew records, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Barabbas heard nothing of that, but the crowd's answer arrived loud and clear, Let him be crucified. Pilate responded, Why? What evil has he done? But Barabbas heard only the loudly shouted response, Let him be crucified. Barabbas, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Imagine them with those dreadful cries ringing in his ears, the sinking heart and trembling hands of the insurrectionist as the fall of heavy feet sounded in the corridor, the soldiers approaching his room to inflict the punishment that Barabbas knows he deserves. He hears the sound of the keys, his terror mounting as the door swings open, Yet instead of receiving death, Barabbas is set free. What does Barabbas find as he emerges into the dreary daylight of Jerusalem on that Passover day? A crowd follows a bloodied man carrying a cross. It is a man acquitted of all guilt, yet trudging in solitary condemnation. As he inquires further, the truth unfolds for Barabbas. Jesus is dying in his place. Hearing the hammer blows, nailing Jesus to the cross, did Barabbas cry out in wonder? Those blows were meant for me, but Jesus has taken my cross? Only Barabbas can say that Jesus took his physical place on the cross. But in terms of God's holy judgment, all who believe in Jesus Christ may say with Barabbas, Jesus died in my place. 
Donald Gray Barnhouse, who imagined this scene, writes, It was I who deserved to die. It was I who deserved that the wrath of God should be poured upon me. He was delivered up for my offenses. He was handed over to judgment because of my sins. This is why we speak of the substitutionary atonement. Christ was my substitute. He was satisfying the debt of divine justice and holiness. Paul put it in memorable words for our sake. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus bore our sin that we might bear his righteousness in God's presence forever. Jesus died that we might live. Jesus was bound to the curse of sin so that we sinners might be set free. Like Barabbas in his cell, hearing his name loudly called, every one of us will be summoned by name to appear at the great tribunal of God's final judgment. On that day, that great day, he will be wearing his crown of glory and thrown as judge over all. And all who refused him will be condemned forever. Will you have despised Jesus, the bloody Savior, like those who cried, crucify him? If instead you will call on Jesus to save you, your name will be called like Barabbas, but the divine summons will arrive only to set you free. Free for what? Well, Charles Wesley answers in his captivating stanzas, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We follow, through, we follow Jesus through this world with many crosses of our own to bear in his name to an eternal glory secured by him for us. All who have lived in the gloomy dungeon of sin and unbelief may gain this freedom by believing his gospel, free to wear a salvation crown of glory to lay at Jesus' feet and free to sing with gospel joy. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, let it be that every soul in here today turns to Jesus Christ that does not know Jesus at this time. Lord, we pray that you would save lost sinners in our midst, that none would be standing with Barabbas, but would be clinging to Jesus Christ by repenting and placing their faith and trust in him and him alone. Prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.